The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. to know the score i'm your host don de la Rente, and i'm back with my co-host k bads as we're still talking about the georgetown hoyas of the mid 80s hoya paranoia this year we're talking this uh, episode we're talking about is uh the years 1983 1984 so we'd like to welcome k bads first and foremost what's going on k bad man taking it day by day <laughs> like everybody else yeah, man. I don't know how much longer people are gonna be able to uh, stay on their best behavior here with right. this with this good weather rolling through on these weekends and stuff. So, yep. But uh, hopefully, everybody is staying occupied. You can uh, find the podcast here, Know the Score, on the CSPN. You can also find us on iTunes and all other podcast apps that you find. You know, listen to your shows through. So, K Bads, on what would be. The final four weekend, we'll be talking about national semifinals in college basketball. Uh, we're going to talk about one of the greatest teams in Big East history and NCAA history, the 83-84 Georgetown Hoyas. They had an overall record of 34-3. and They went 14-2, and and they were the Big East champions. They scored 74.3 points a game, which ranked 46th in the NCAA, and they allowed 57.9 points a game, which was 12th. So the roster featured Patrick Ewan in his junior year, uh, you know, fully developed, you know, starting to get the weight upon him. His skills were already there, but now his knowledge and his physical body were starting to catch up with that raw talent, and he was definitely – he would have been probably National Player of the Year if it wasn't a forward guy named Michael Jordan uh, that year. Uh, David Wingate was a sophomore. They added Reggie Williams, who was a freshman. Bill Martin was a junior. Michael Jackson was a sophomore. They added freshman Michael Graham, who we'll talk about a lot, I think, in this episode. Horace Broadnax was a sophomore. And then they had senior, senior leadership from Gene Smith and Fred Brown. Now, k as you said that this is the first team – of your Georgetown fandom that you, you know, had a, a real connection to and, uh, you know, basically started your love for the team and everything. So um, just give some thoughts about that roster and, and the guys that John deployed and how he used them to make this run uh, throughout this season. Um, well, first and foremost, the additions of uh, Michael Graham and uh, Reggie Williams. Reggie Williams went on to be um, one of the – best players in Georgetown's basketball history. Probably the best all-around player I can remember um, ever wearing a Georgetown uniform. He can handle the ball, shoot it, rebound, defend. He was a good passer, very good basketball IQ. He pretty much was everybody expected him to be. I mean, he was arguably the best high school player um, in the class of 1983. He was Parade Magazine Player of the Year. You going down, going down the line of high school teammate of David Wingate. And it's the addition of Reggie allowed David to play a lot more at guard. Um, his first year, he played a lot more at forward. But the addition of Reggie, even though Reggie didn't start a lot, he played about you know, 20, 25 minutes a game. 
um, average almost in double figures again. Just his addition, I don't think, can be um, overstated as his overall impact on this team. And the addition of Michael Graham, uh, DC zone out of Spingarn High School, he really came in and brought like that 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 toughness, that meanness that you know Georgetown really needed. Even though Pat wasn't a slouch, he wasn't a pushover. Um, you know, just adding Mike, he just became the enforcer on the team, and he was a perfect um, uh, just kind of compliment to what Patrick brought down low. So the team was led by Patrick Ewing. He was a leader in points and rebounds. He uh, averaged about 16 points a game and about 10 rebounds a game. Uh, the Hoyers were ranked fourth coming into the season in the preseason. Uh, they lost their second game of the season to 13th-ranked DePaul, who was led by junior forward Tyrone Corbin. Uh, I think one of the things that I've really come to uh, realize again is just, you know, the different powers of the time in the early 80s. You know, like a team like DePaul was good. You know, now they're really nowhere to be found in the ranks of college basketball. But Seton Hall, how good they were and how they were just starting to come up in this type, in this era right here. A bunch of different teams making noise. Uh, the Hoyers then went on a nine-game winning streak, which was highlighted by back-to-back road wins to start the Big E season over UConn and Seton Hall. The Hoyers found themselves ranked number three in the country, and, and they were you know, one of the clear favorites to make it to the Final Four in Seattle. But they had a stumbling block. When Villanova, led by Ed Peatney and Dwayne, Dwayne McLean, defeated the Hoyers at the Capitol Center in a thriller, 65-63. to This game right here is very pivotable. Uh, you know, in the next year, because I, I think this is the game that Ed Pinkney referred to was like, hey, you know, we had belief because we beat them at their own place when they were probably, you know, on their way, you know, to the national title. So they had a lot of belief. But uh, that was one of the better games in Georgetown history to end up on a loss. Um, just a great game in the Capitol Center. Any remembrance of that game, uh, K-Bat, in particular? Not, not particular, that game. No, I remember uh, the game following, of course, the National Championship game, right. but not that game in particular. Right. Right. Well, the Hoyas regrouped and they won their next 10 games, which included impressive back-to-back road victories over Pittsburgh and Syracuse. Once again, a long winning streak was snapped at home, but this time by Chris Mullen and big man Bill Winnington and St. John, 75-71. to so that was at a time when St. John was starting to become a major player in the Big East. Um, Mark Jackson was a freshman point guard on that particular team as well. And uh, Louis Conaseca and Big John, you know, <laughs> they were great for entertainment. Sometimes they were more ex- entertaining than the game itself with, you know, mm-hmm. their antics on the sideline. Uh, the Hoyas finished the season strong in their final three games, including a 17-point win over Syracuse in a regular season finale. So the Hoyers were ranked number two headed into the Big East Tournament. The Hoyers advanced to the conference title game with wins over Providence and St. John's. But the Hoyers would face Syracuse for the second time in eight days, and the Hoyers pulled out an 82-71 overtime win despite the efforts of Syracuse freshman point guard Pearl Washington. Uh, This was probably the game that really put maybe ESPN on the map right here. Um, because this was uh, one of the first games that they had that was like after that exclusive game that they had on cable with Ralph Sampson and, and uh, Patrick Ewing the year before, ESPN had this game. And, yeah, it lived up to the billing. Mm-hmm. Um, this was probably one of the, I guess, premier Big East tournament games that when you look back in the 
time of that conference, they always kind of look at like this game as like putting that Big East tournament into the big time. Mm-hmm. Uh, just anything you want to add uh, before we move on to the tournament? Yeah, just, uh, you know, I do remember a lot of those games from that era. And again, it really was the event, really, the Big East tournament every year. Um, just that final, uh, you know, it was going to be, a, you know, a cage match every single year and it really just elevated uh, sports on uh, basic cable to, you know, levels we hadn't really seen before. And, uh, just talk about just the electricity, you know, not going to the events because I was old enough at that time. I uh, went to a, a couple Big East tournaments later on. I got to college and I'm the start of my professional career. But I don't even think that the, you know, just the overall just sense of you knew that this was just a big game. You know, it had kind of like national championship levels of electricity. Just the feeling of watching those games. Very memorable. And I think also just the advantage of it being in Madison Square Garden mm-hmm. also gives it that extra just oomph that no mm-hmm. other conference tournament can have. Yeah. You know, and at this time, you know, New York City considered the mecca of everything. And, you know, these two teams, Patrick Ewan being from New York and, and all that, it was a homecoming for him. And, you know, it was just a big, big deal for Georgetown to go far. And getting the finals against, you know, another New York team in Syracuse. So, you know, the fans were definitely out and they delivered a great game. The Hoyas headed into the tournament, the NCAA tournament, on a six-game winning streak. And they were the number one seed in the West region. For some reason, they loved putting Georgetown out west uh, when the tournament came around. Uh, after their bye, the Hoyas got a major scare from John Concat of all people, in the SMU Mustangs. But the Hoyas held SMU to 12 second-half points to get the comeback win, 39-38. to Definitely a rock fight, if there ever was one, <laughs> in a college basketball game, mm-hmm. even for 80s uh, terms. Uh, that was the wake-up call that the Hoyas needed, though, as they stormed through UNLV and Dayton on their way to the Final Four in Seattle. So the Hoyas faced off against Sam Bowie and the Kentucky Wildcats, the national semifinal. Uh, this team also included uh, Kenny Skywalker as well for the Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, it was another smothering second half defensive performance that propelled the Hoyas to the national championship game. The Hoyas held the vaunted Kentucky team to 11 second half points. Michael Graham was a key contributor to the win with eight points, six rebounds, and three blocks off the bench. Uh, anything you'd like to add about the national semifinal against uh, Sam Bowie in Kentucky? Yeah, just you talk about John Conkac. Um, he went on to be a first round draft pick in the NBA. Um, I'm sure people remember that spread he had in Sports Illustrated when he got that big contract. Um, you know, with this Sam Bowie being involved in this, when we get to the National Championship, Akeem Olajuwon or Akeem Olajuwon at the time. Uh, you know, it just goes to show, like, even when, you know, Patrick Ewing, of course, being involved in that game, just, you know, where the game was back then. Uh, just very heavy. On postman, mm-hmm. like if if you had a guy to five that could you know rebound block shots, a guy that you can run your offense through, you know those teams were the most formidable at the time. It was just a different game. Before yeah. the three point line, you know, very front court centric. You know, it was just a different era. Right, right. Uh, uh, ironically, because this was played in the key arena, the three point line was on the court, so it actually mm-hmm. I think this was the experimental year with the three point line in college basketball. In 83 and 84, and I think it was full-time in 84 and 85. But, yeah, there were some conferences back then that were using it. Right. Um, 
I don't know if it was the. I gotta look that up. I know there were a few conferences that were experimental at the time before this. Um, and I, I'm not. I don't quite remember if this was the year that they had the experimental uh, three point line. I know it came into effect fully in '86, so this may have been the experimental year. Right. Right. Um. So that meant that the Hoyas would advance to their second national championship game in the last three years, and they would meet the Houston Cougars, who were playing in their third straight Final Four in their second straight national championship game. So everybody remembers the 1983 national championship game, which NC State won on the miracle putback by Lorenzo Charles. Uh, it was the upset heard around the world as Houston and you know Clyde Drexler and all those boys, Hakeem as a freshman, were heavy favorites, and they got upset. So they were back in the national championship game again. They lost to North Carolina in 1982 in the national semifinal on North Carolina's way to the national championship win over Georgetown. So it all comes back around full circle. Um, this was a true class of the Titans, as it was the first ever matchup between Patrick Ewing and Hakeem Olajuwon. Um, just think about that for a second as you are a sports fan as a kid in 1983-84 and these two big guys are like one's a junior, one's a sophomore and now you're going to watch them play against each other professional college for the next 20 years. Pretty cool. Houston jumped out to an early lead as they hit their first seven shots of the game but it was Michael Grant who provided the spark as he did throughout the tournament, midway through the first half, as the Hoyas had taken the lead, they would never relinquish. Uh, Houston was led by Alvin Franklin with 21 points and Michael Young, who had 18 points. Hakeem Olajuwon battled foul trouble, but still managed to contribute 15 points and nine rebounds. Georgetown got major contributions from freshman guard Reggie Williams, who scored 19 points off the bench, along with Graham, who added 14 points. Sophomore guard David Wingate led the starters in scoring with 16 points. Patrick Ewan, battling his own foul issues, only had 10 points. So the Hoyas and John Thompson won their first national championship. As Fred Brown, senior guard, was able to walk off a national champion in his final game as the Georgetown Hoya. I think everybody remembers that famous shot of, uh, you know, him celebrating with Coach Thompson. Yep. Uh, That's so, the endure, that is the enduring image of that season and that game. Yeah, as they walk off the court. Uh, the Hoyers won the college basketball triple crown, as they say, during the 83-84 season. They won their Big East regular season championship. They were the Big East tournament champions, and they capped it off as national champions. It's K-Bad. This was a redemption story in so many ways. Uh, team had members that had lost the 82 game, you know, Fred mm-hmm. Brown, Gene Smith, uh, particularly. Uh, they also were a team that got bounced out early the year before in an upset against Memphis State and Keith Lee. So they kind of had two years worth of pent up frustration coming into this 83 84 season and they came through. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we talked about it last week. Uh, it seemed like the um, 83 season was more of a, you know, building block kind of season uh, where they kind of reloaded and I think just adding Reggie Williams I don't think that can never be again it can never be overstated it's the impact they had on that team and you kind of saw what he was going to be in years to come in that national championship game the 19.7 rebounds and uh, Michael Graham again the enforcer on that team and you know one of the biggest uh, debates that Georgetown fans had to this day is what could have been if Michael Graham would have stayed uh, for his sophomore year um, you know he you, you hear a lot of different reasons why um, he never came back to Georgia. He ended up enrolling at UDC, 
which is the University of District of Columbia, a uh, public university in, in the city. Um, you know, for various reasons, again, I won't get into them. I know Mike is, you know, turned that page in his life a long time ago, so I won't get into the things <laughs> that we've heard over the years as to why he wasn't welcomed back. But, uh, you know, again, just... You know, his overall presence on the floor and just him being able to be the guy that took so much of uh, the punishment down low that he kind of shielded Patrick from it. And again, I don't think there's any doubt that if he comes back for his sophomore year, they win the 85 championship and maybe go on from there because he would have been a, a senior with uh, senior Reggie Williams on the 87 team, which was known as Reggie and the Miracles. And I think even if he's on that team, I think they could have went far. So. Yeah, if if Michael Grant would have stayed at Georgetown, you know, there's a lot of debates that fans have over the years about what else with this program, but that's probably at the top of the list. And this was the thing that propelled, you know, everybody as far as Black Americans and the consciousness of Georgetown. This is when the Defenders came out. This is when, you know, the jackets and the hats and, and just the Hoya uh, you know, fandom as far as black basketball fans was at its all-time peak right here because, I mean, you know, this was a black America's team for, you know, better or worse yeah. when it came to college basketball. Absolutely. And to this day, a lot of people still tell me that they always thought that Georgetown, before they really knew where Georgetown was and what it was, they thought it was a black college. I never quite understood that. Um, <laughs> you know, why would it just be one black college that's competing with all these other major institutions like St. John's and Syracuse? But again, if you see an all black team and with a black coach, I, I, I guess, you know, I never quite saw that, but I still hear about it to this day. So all right, all right. Um, just anything else that you'd like to just, you know, add about the, you know, this team right here, um, the game itself against Houston was, uh, you know, very fast paced, very up and down. A lot of people thought that they were going to be maybe more deliberate, but they weren't. But always what it seems like in college basketball, when it's a battle of two big men, the referees are too involved and the big men never really get the chance to showcase. So somebody else has to step up. And like you said, that was uh, Reggie Williams and uh, Michael Graham for Georgetown. Um, just any other memories about maybe the celebration or just kind of what your household was like? You know, yeah, I just, remember everybody, I just remember everybody on the street um, was just celebrating. And, you know, just growing up in D.C. at that time, you know, we had Georgetown and we had the Skins. And, you know, it's just, you know, it just makes me think of just very, very fond childhood memories because it seemed like everybody in my house was always happy. Um, just mainly because during football season, we knew we had a contender in the NFL and we knew like in college basketball, you know, like every March, like we got to the point where we kind of expected Georgetown to compete every year. So that's right. Like the biggest takeaway. I just remember just people having something to celebrate the older people in the house, um, on my street, you know, just people that I looked up to, I just remember them just being happy. You know, and we haven't quite had that feeling with those two respective teams in a while. Now, you know, the Capitals and the Nats, you know, they kind of picked up the slack, but it's it's not really the same. Right, right, right. Because definitely in the 80s, it was a Georgetown and Redskin football or Washington football team a town. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, sports town for sure. You know, Maryland's creeped in with football here and there every once in a while. Right. Basketball, you know, when Lefty Jugel came in in the 70s through the 80s, uh, you know, they became – They were competitive. They had right. great teams, great players. Right. You know, Maryland basketball was, was, was a joy to watch. I mean, to this day, 
Lynn Boss is still my favorite basketball player of all time. We're mm-hmm. from the same Motown, and um, that has a lot to do with it. But, you know, Maryland has some fantastic teams over the years. But Georgetown, you know, just on that national level, just took it to a whole nother level where, mm-hmm. you know, expected every year them coming in, they were going to bring preseason top five. Talk about maybe, like, this is also the infancy. This is a lot of things. I'm, I'm just coming. A lot of things just kind of coming to me at once right now as we're just on the mic freestyling kind of. Um, it's the infancy of ESPN and sports on cable. Mm-hmm. It's the infancy of the NCAA tournament on the like very edge of becoming like big, big time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's the point where the NBA is like, you know, flourishing up and starting to really kick up it too. So now, you know, you got people talking about entering the draft early because you know, it was a big deal that Patrick Ewan and Hakeem both said they were coming back. Patrick for his senior year uh, and Hakeem for his junior year. Um, so, you know, the draft and then the NBA. So there's a lot of things working at this time for Georgetown and Patrick Ewing and just basketball as a sport you know, in the United States in general, it's kind of like the perfect storm for them to mm-hmm. be one of the first teams to get that exposure. So the upper class black people could be like, you know what? Hmm. We have cable and that's our team right there. You know, mm-hmm. we see them play, we watch their games. We feel like we have a connection with them. And then as that changes over into the tournament, then, you know, more of the country gets to see it. And then that's when you get the lines divided and then that's when you know a lot of times people will really start showing their colors and you just go with who you identify with sure and another part of that and it's one thing that um you know i actually talked with coach thompson about before and he you know openly admits he was like a lot of uh the attention that we got was because people wanted to see us lose right and 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 i kind of you know um compared to in I don't want to say Georgetown was the villain right. in any way, but right. they kind of were. Like, they right. were kind of like the Floyd Mayweather of college basketball. You know, they were so good that you wanted to see them play night in and night out. But at the same time, you know, a lot of people watched them to see them lose. So that had a lot to do with a lot of eyeballs on Georgetown basketball. Um, it had a lot to do with the ratings. You know, you mm-hmm. look at the ratings for Georgetown games as opposed to other teams in the Big East. They didn't really compare at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, Coach Thompson, that's something he'll tell you. He'll name, you know, a lot of people in the media at the time that didn't really care for him that much. And, you know, the feeling was mutual in a lot of respects. But, you know, a lot of people just didn't like how Georgetown operated um, you know, people talked about, you know, the Iron Curtain of Silence. You know, there was so much, you know, Hoya paranoia. Uh, you know, John didn't allow freshmen to talk to the media up until January of their freshman years. There's a lot of ways that they moved, um, you know, a lot of secrecy mm-hmm. involved with the program. And they didn't really let a whole lot of people in and a lot of people didn't really like that. Mm-hmm. And they kind of took it out of in, in, in the media. And you saw a lot of negative portrayals of Georgetown players, of course, the coach. Um, you know, people labeling Coach Thompson a racist. It was all kinds of stuff back then. But uh, it, it goes back to the point that, again, a lot of people watch them to see them lose. Yeah, that is a very big crush of entertainment is not really the good guys, but the bad guys. And a lot Absolutely. of people yep. get their enjoyment not from really seeing the good guy come up, but seeing the bad guy get theirs. Yep. And if that can be Georgetown or Floyd Mayweather or Muhammad Ali or whomever you want to insert, 
then you know everybody will come out with their pitchforks ready and the more you can disappoint them <laughs> you know, the bigger it swells and swells and swells for the opportunity to do it for that particular people to do it it's a very you know interesting study on human nature yeah i just you know i just marvel at this team just for uh the way like you said they added you know some really high power components and reggie williams and michael graham with what they already had with a little bit more experience with patrick ewan david wingate one more year experience and uh, you know fred brown wasn't a threat to score any points but he ran the team they didn't make a lot of turnovers he spearheaded their defense and you know just to see him be able to be able to shake off that 82 moment and get this moment, you know, I'll always be, you know, just be, like you said, the endearing moment of probably the Georgetown program of that time, just him winning that championship. Yep, absolutely. All right, K-Baz, as we do every time, man, at this time of the show, just let the people know where they can find you, where they can find you on Twitter and the podcast. And uh, thank you once again, man, for doing this and going back down memory lane with me during what will be the final four weekend uh, of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, uh, no problem, man. Um, as always, if people want to follow me, they can follow me on Twitter at KBAZ, that's KBADDS, and they can find me, Basa, TKO, every Wednesday night, Thursday morning, whenever we publish the episode on the Hot Five Starter Podcast, and we talk about it, whatever it may be, we talk about it. So check us out, and yeah, man. See y'all next week. Yes, man. I, once again, thank you for joining me, K-Bass. Thank you to all the listeners and underscore and the CSPN. Uh, retweet the show, share the show, download, subscribe, rate, and review. And for my co-host, K-Bass, I'm Don DeLorente, and now you know the score. 